welcome to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the real reason illegal immigrants are coming to the United States. We'll talk about anxiety at police stops. We'll have Ted Cruz nuking a college student. And we'll talk about Florida's education standards. Next, I'm Living with Liberty. excuses that we've been fed by the Biden regime when it comes to the illegal immigrants overrunning our border is that they are fleeing dangerous situations in their home country and need to seek asylum here in the United States. Well, let's take a look at what asylum means from a legal perspective and then apply it to uh, call it the practical application here. So this excerpt is from attorney Brianna Carey. It says this, not everyone qualifies for asylum or refugee status. You must meet some strict requirements as described in this article. In particular, you must show two things. You are unable or unwilling to return to your home country because you have been persecuted there in the past or have well-founded fear that you will be persecuted if you go back. And... The reason you have been or will be persecuted is connected to one of five things. Your race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or your political opinion. Now, in order to be granted asylum, a person needs to demonstrate persecution. They need to demonstrate that they cannot move somewhere within their home country safely. they have to have some sort of hard evidence of this. They have to have hard evidence that they have a reasonable expectation that their country's government will persecute them upon return. I.e., they have spoken out against the government publicly, whether that be on TV, a podcast, newspapers, etc. It would include having written an article that has been published somewhere where it would be viewed publicly, as I mentioned before, newspapers, or they have been notified by the government to cease and desist any activity associated uh, 
um, with basically speaking out against said government or any activity associated with a religious practice that their government has deemed unlawful. So you have to have this hard evidence where people have that reasonable kind of that reasonable doubt or that, that reasonable expectation, I guess is the best way to put it, that their government will persecute them. Now, I want you to keep this in mind as we contrast this with a couple of comments gathered from uh, the, the uh, illegal immigrants that were sent on the fourth bus from Texas to Washington, D.C. Uh, the first one here I have is uh, from a 23-year-old Venezuelan native who arrived from Texas. He told Fox News this. He said that he left his country due to high food prices and corruption. You can work for an entire month and only make enough money to feed your family, really, for one day. And then the other one I have here is... Uh, Another Venezuelan actually said that uh, he was going to Washington, D.C. because he heard there's help there and there's no help being granted by Texas. Neither one of those sound like persecution. Neither one of those sound like I can't return safely to my home country. I, there's nowhere I can live safely in my home country. Uh, I'm going to focus in on the first, the first one, uh, first comment here, um, the first, the 23-year-old man here. Uh, you know what? I really feel for this man, his country, which was once very prosperous. I mean, they have a, uh, just had a booming oil industry. It, it, this once prosperous country, Venezuela, has been reduced to a country where people work for a month for enough money to feed yourself and your family for a day. I feel I, I, it's hard to not feel for someone like that. Now, I looked up what Venezuela's inflation rate is. It's 284%, not 2.84%, not 28.4%, 284%. And that's the lowest it's been in a very long time. I look back to March, it was, I think, 340%, something like that. Just crazy we think inflation's bad here. I mean, Venezuela, I mean, that, that's hyperinflation. However, though, we still have immigration laws here, and there's still those pesky conditions that need to be met in order to be granted asylum. And those things are truths and their constants, no matter how much I empathize with this gentleman about his plight of working for a month and only making enough to feed his family and himself for a day. I understand that. But there's laws here, there's conditions for refugee status, there's conditions for asylum, and they're not being met. You're, you're coming here for economic reasons, not because of something going on in your country. Now, yes, Venezuela is corrupt. I'm sure there's persecution there. But that's not what he noted. He said, I'm coming here because of high food prices, inflation, and corruption. And neither of those 
uh, things meet the standard for granting asylum. So that that's that's not why he's here. Obviously, he said it. I'm here basically. He said he should have said I'm just here for economic reasons. Because I mean, if you're looking for lower food prices and less corruption, you're coming to the wrong place. Though we are less corrupt than Venezuela for now. So, in essence, it's 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 these economic reasons why people are coming here, and it's also because our government, our government, which can't even support our veterans and give them decent health care and housing, is giving these these illegal immigrants handouts, food, medical, housing, phones. They're, our government's just handing this stuff out to them. We are rolling out the red carpet for those people who are coming here illegally at the expense of our own citizens. This is what Trump was talking about. America first. We are the most helpful nation on the planet. We are the most generous nation on the planet. But we're only going to be that way if we take care of ourselves first. We can't just keep giving handouts. We can't just keep, you know, keep taking out loans to give out handouts to people coming here illegally. We can't keep doing it at the expense of our own citizens. We've got cities, uh, city streets, bigs in our big cities, lined with attics. We've got basically a war zone in in our big cities, like Chicago and in New York City. We're we're doing this at the expense of our own people, and that's not right. We can't help others until we help ourselves. It's the old. Uh, the rules for on the uh, flying on the airlines. It's what do they tell you? Put your, in the case of the uh, need of oxygen, put your mask on first and then help somebody. Why? Because you're no good if you are passed out. You can't help anybody passed out. We can't help anybody as a nation if we don't take care of our own first. So, so that's why. These people are coming here. It's it's I get it, economic opportunity, fine. But do it legally. There there's I'm all for you want to better your life, come here legally and do it. Come here, go through the, the naturalization process, uh, get your green card, go through the legal immigration process. No problems. We do, I love that people do that. But to, to come here for obviously obvious economic reasons and then our government to, to hand things out to people who, who don't even pay into our system, I mean, how much sense does that make? I could stomach it maybe if, 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 we're we're giving people that are actually citizens these these benefits, but these people don't even pay into our system. They just show up on our doorstep. But our, our government, especially the the party in charge right now, they're they're not apt to change. This is about buying new voters. When you look at this from a political standpoint, this is about buying new voters. Giving out these benefits, 
I hesitate to say free. They're free to the illegal immigrants. They're not free. They're being bought and paid for by me and you. The Democrats are buying new voters, and, and they're not turning it off from their America last platform or their radical leftist platform, their socialist platform. They're not turning from that at all. They know in the short term that this this is costing them voters all over the spectrum, all over the board. They know their coalition is dismantling. They know that. So what they're doing is they're rolling out the red carpet for these asylum seekers in order to get them into the fold. We've already seen cities that are giving uh, voting rights to non-citizens. So it's already starting. So they're rolling out the red carpet for these people. And because we know the Democrats play the long game, this isn't about the most immediate present. It's, pro- it's not even about the next five years. It's not even about the next 10 years. If you think about it for a second, who do you see coming? Who is, who is being... Uh, who is, uh, what's the age demographic of the people in these videos that, that we see on the news? It's a lot of younger people coming. A lot of people of childbearing years. Now remember, a, a baby born here is a citizen of this country unless its parents uh, renounce that citizenry because they were here on vacation or whatever and they're going back to their home country. Don't think for a second these illegal immigrants that have babies here are renouncing their American citizenship. So babies born here as a citizen. What do you think will happen in the next 20, 40 to 40 years then? That's right. We'll have generations of Americans born from illegal immigrants who feel indebted to the Democrat Party for their lax enforcement at the border, which allowed their parents to come here, parent or parents, and the party that gave their parents a bunch of U.S. Uh, US taxpayer-funded stuff to get them going while they're here. Here's a phone. Call in, and we'll give you a court date. You know they're not going to call in. And they do this all the while our citizens suffer. They, they don't care. They're, the values that are going to be taught in that household then are the, are, is a story about how they came here, how the parents came here illegally, had you know, their kids, how the U.S. government, the Democrats specifically, helped them out. And these, uh, the, the babies that were born here are American citizens now, so they'll, they'll be here. They'll be indebted to the Democrat Party. Now, the illegals coming here, well, for the most part, will never get to vote. Likely never get to vote. I these days you can't say, uh, you can never say never, but let, let's say, let's call it likely they'll never get to vote, but their offspring will. And think about where these people come from and, and what their worldview is and, and how they live. Left-leaning to socialist countries, that's where they're coming from. That's the mentality the radicals running the Democrat Party want here. They haven't been able to fully implement it because Americans won't have it. Born and bred Americans won't have it. We didn't grow up with those values. And every time you talk about it, every time you talk about 
the replacement theory, the media and Democrats repeatedly try to shut it down. But I always go by the rule, he who protesteth much is guilty of much. If, if you're not doing that, why do you have to do it at every, have to try and denounce it at every turn? It's plainly obviously, uh, obvious to me that there's an effort to do exactly that. There's an effort underway to replace Americans, to replace our thought processes, to uh, uh, an effort to replace our values and how we think about our country. And they have to do that. The radicals running the Democrat Party have to do that. The globalists have to do that because Americans are too smart and by and large too centrist, no matter whether you lean left or right. We are still a very centrist country. I've said it before. Talk to your community. You'll you'll find that you probably agree with a lot of folks uh, on at least 50 to 80 percent of the the issues facing your community and, and our country. If they're reasonable, and I think most people are. Americans are too lar- uh, too smart and too centrist to let the social socialist bullcrap the Democrats are pushing to go on. So the Democrats need to import people of the right mindset. This is why it is extremely important to vet and elect constitutional candidates at every level of office, school board on up to president. We need people that understand the Constitution, that understand our laws, that understand our values in our country. This is why it is important to ensure our kids have a full grasp of our Constitution. We need to teach them the Constitution. They need to understand what their rights are and their responsibilities are. They need to understand what the provisions in it are for the structure of our government. The survival of our country depends on it. Now, before I move on, if you are on Facebook, Living with Liberty now has a page going on there. I figured since I have been back on there for the school board uh, activities I've been undertaking and and running a campaign, I might as well use the platform to promote freedom and liberty as well. So if you still happen to be on Facebook, give us a follow. The page is Living with Liberty, and it can be uh, searched for at Living with Liberty. Okay. Our next story comes from an AP article titled Police Stops of Black People Often Filled with Fear and Anxiety by Corey Williams and Aaron Morrison. Now, I hate to tell Corey and Aaron, but police stops are filled with anxiety for the rest of the population, too. The issues with police stops boil down to basics we should all have learned before we went to kindergarten. Be respectful and follow directions of those with authority. It's not hard. It's not hard to do those things. It's basic basic, uh, functionality of a human, if you ask me. If you do that, if you are respectful and you do follow directions, your encounter with law enforcement will go just fine. We have plenty of examples every day of people of 
all stripes where they encounter and, and have an interaction with the police officer and it goes just fine. Like I said, we all have anxiety when, when, when we're stopped by an officer. For most of us, it's because we know we probably have done something wrong and, and we're just hoping that we get off with a warning or something like that, right? Especially those traffic stops. You get caught going a little too fast. You get pulled over, yeah, the adrenaline starts going, right? You know you got caught doing something wrong. Um, so you got a little anxiety there. You're hoping not to get the ticket. But why is there anxiety by black people in encounters with the police? I mean, why does it seem like this, this article is implying that there's extra anxiety? Why does it perpetuate? Well, headlines like this don't happen or help. That's for sure. The story does give us some insight as to why this may be or why it is. Some of it valid. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. Uh, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of um, just a, a, a lot of uh, uh, different interactions with police that, don't, that haven't gone right. But there's also things that are media-driven, like, well, even though it's like a, a one in a, whatever it is, one in a thousand, whatever the percentage ends up being of the interactions that, that turn uh, lethal, um, it, those get perpetuated as, as if they're the norm. I mean, so that there's that part of it too. There's, there's the cultural thing where it's just not handed down from generation to generation that be be respectful, be kind, and follow directions, and you'll be you'll be all right. The first quote I have here from the article is from Jason Johnson. Uh, he is from the Law Enforcement Legal Defun uh, Defense Fund. He says this: because of the way police are commonly portrayed, there can be anxiety for young men of color when they are pulled over. Am I going to get a ticket? Am I going to get arrested? They may believe they are going to be a victim of abuse. Many times they enter into these interactions thinking they are going to be a victim of brutality. So where does this mindset come from? And by the way, Jason Johnson, this is a very pro-law enforcement organization. I, I don't know that it came through in that um, uh, that uh, quote from, from the article. Um but it is a very pro-law enforcement organization, the, the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. Where does this mindset come from? Where does it come from that they believe that they are going to be a victim of abuse, that the police are out to get them? Hip-hop culture, neighborhood culture, the way people are raised, portrayal in the movies and TV and in the media, and... Of course, the ever self-important blue check dolts of Twitter. That, that's where this comes from. We keep allowing this narrative to be perpetuated that the police are out to get black folks, and that's just not the case. Yeah, I mean, so some of those, it's I'm thinking about those things, right? If I get pulled over, am I going to get a ticket? What was I doing? Was I not paying enough attention? Am I going to get arrested? Did I do something so egregious I'm going to get arrested? Those thoughts go through everybody's mind. 
it's it's this last part, which is what is the the or they may believe that they are going to be a victim of abuse. That is the most troubling. That is the, what's perpetuated. And how how does it get that way? Well, it's the breakdown of the family structure that has led to values not being instilled in kids to respect authority to. To when you are in, uh, encountering the law, you need to, to follow directions. You need to be kind, be respectful. So you have the breakdown of the family structure. This vital teaching and, and, and instilling of values does not take place. So kids turn to other outlets to answer the questions on how they should behave in these situations. And sometimes those outlets aren't the most reputable or truthful about the relationship of police with the community, the relationship of a, of a law enforcement officer with the people. Some of it's just downright degrading of law enforcement. Now, yes, uh, unfortunately, in these times, you have to say this, this statement. There are bad cops. Yeah, absolutely. There's bad doctors, there's bad teachers, there's bad people in my profession, there's bad cops. Yeah. And yes, bad things have happened to people, to black people, at the expense of those bad officers. But justice does get served in those instances where the officers are indeed found guilty of wrongdoing on the job, where they are found guilty of abusing their authority and their power, of using lethal force unnecessarily, there's consequences for those actions. Especially if it's determined that the officer did it intentionally. And the other piece of this is there's a quote from, from the piece from Amara and Yaya. Uh, she's a policy and research man manager for the Movement for Black Lives. She said, the fear that black motorists feel is rooted in generations of adversarial relations with police. When stops for license plates, broken taillights, or improper lane changes turn into violent arrests or fatal encounters, departments turn to old solutions such as anti-bias training. And those have failed to make a difference. You just have to wonder how many billions and billions of dollars does it take to train that kind of bias out of someone? Instead of making structural changes to the entire system, you have to rely on the benevolence and goodwill or altruism of a police officer to stay alive in what is otherwise a routine traffic stop. Okay, this is exactly the kind of statement and mindset that perpetuates the anxiety of some in the black community when they have to deal with the police. You can't train the bias out of someone. They let, you think about it, the police see the worst of the worst. They're always on edge. They have to be for their own safety and for your safety. And if stops for license plates, broken taillights, or improper lane changes turn violent, it's because someone's not doing what they're supposed to be doing and following the directions and, and, and engaging the officer in the correct manner. Or they run their license plates and figure out that it's the drug dealer they were, they were 
uh, the police were after. I mean, this this is the kind of statement that keeps perpetuating this anxiety. Again, yes, in our history, there have been adversarial relations with the police. I think of the civil rights movement of that time period and before, honestly. We have had that, but it's been rectified. It is in, uh, just just disingenuous to imply that a person needs to rely on the altruism of an officer to stay alive during a routine traffic stop. If that person is doing what they're supposed to be doing, that person's going to leave that routine traffic stop alive. They're probably going to drive away from it. They're not going to be cuffed and thrown to the ground because they're resisting or getting uh, just obnoxious. Uh, there is no need then, if you're respectful and you follow directions, there's no need to rely on the altruism of an officer to stay alive during a routine traffic stop. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the structural changes here that are implied. So the, these structural changes that, that were implied here, which if you didn't notice weren't specifically called out by name because the media has caught on to what a loser these structural changes really are. So they hold back on calling a spade a spade. But those structural changes, it's implied here, it's to defund the police and absolve the person from any accountability for their actions. That's what the structural changes they want to advocate for here and are advocating for here. Those are the implications here. Defund the police and absolve people from any, any accountability to their actions. The bottom line here is simple. Follow instructions, be respectful, and there will be no issues with any encounters with law enforcement. Now, that's not going to necessarily help anxiety because if you're someone that's conscientious about right and wrong and you get stopped by an officer, the anxiety level is going to go up. It's only natural because you have a moral compass, you have values, and you know you're probably doing something wrong. But you be respectful. You follow this, the instructions. There won't be any issues with that encounter. The officer will do what he does and send you on your way. All right, next story. When are people going to learn to stop trying to play gotcha with Ted Cruz? When are they going to learn that you can't go after Ted Cruz with feelings and emotions and ambiguities and not point out to any sort of of tangible evidence? And if you... If you take that route, he's just going to make you learn uh, look stupid. People, many have not learned that lesson yet, apparently. So now we have some uh, student at Yale that decided it would be a good idea to try and call Ted Cruz a racist for his line of questioning of Kentanji Brown-Jackson during her confirmation hearings. Ted Cruz has lit up adult intellectuals. A college student is going to be no problem for him. 
Apparently, this Yale student is in ivory tower type in training because she, according to this Red State article that I'll link in the description box, accused Cruz of asking racist questions and of being disrespectful to the now Supreme Court justice. Well, how short people's memories are. Amy Coney Barrett faced, uh, I would say, a line of disrespectful questioning from Democrats. Uh, things that were implied about her religion and her family life. The Democrats put a smear campaign on Brett Kavanaugh, which fell apart, like anything not rooted in truth does eventually. Cruz did one better in terms of his response, though, than, than maybe what we saw with Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. Here's how he responded, and this is also in the Red State piece. It reads like this. Cruz begins by pointing out the abject hypocrisy of the left when it comes to protecting black candidates and nominees. If it was racist to question and vote against Jackson simply because she's a black person, why is it not racist when the Democrats did the same thing to Clarence Thomas or Janice Rogers Brown? Cruz then notes how Casually, the left tosses around the accusation of racism, rarely providing any proof for their claims. Likewise, he points out that liberals don't consider it sexist when Democrats voted in lockstep against Amy Coney Barrett. Ouch. Another cruise missile hits its target. Also, there were no specific charges of what Cruz said or did that was racist, no specific examples. Just that this Yale student thought Cruz asked racist questions because of the optics. And there's no reason to think that Cruz asked racist questions. There's no substance to this accusation because everything Cruz asked was in relation to Jackson's judicial record. And this little nugget, shouldn't Ted Cruz be part of the left's protected class? He is Hispanic, after all. So you would think he would be, I don't know, um, immune from a, a charge of asking racist questions? The, the left is to the point where they can't even follow their own rules anymore. Can Cruz really be accused of being a racist? Th this girl must have been that meme with the two buttons, she must have been trying to choose which button to push because you have Cruz, who's Hispanic, and then you have Jackson, who's black, and can Cruz really be a racist? I, I don't know if I need to push the button or not to the, the Cruz's racist button here. I, you know what? I, th I thought these accusations of racism were reserved for us white people. I thought we were the only ones on the planet that that uh, had the capability of being racist. And there again, it's, you, you know, the look at how the left does that and they lump in white people and it's like, uh, all right, which white people? I mean, you talking about the Germans or the, the Polish or British or Irish? I, you know, I mean, you want to get stupid? Let's get stupid with it. The other uh, troubling part, let's call it, 
about this whole thing is it gives us insight into what our young people have been turned into and what their minds have been turned into and what they believe. They don't even question. They, I bet you there was no questioning that as soon as she said that there was no remorse or secondary thought in her brain as to, Ooh, should I have really asked that question? None guaranteed. We have a bunch of young people now who have been turned into mindless drones that only see someone with darker skin being questioned by someone with lighter skin. They only see the outward appearance. They don't look at the substance of the conversation. They don't look at the facts. They don't look at the qualifications. They didn't listen to any of the answers to the questions. They only are looking at the outward appearance of the people and if they don't like the line of questioning or the manner of speech, they cry racism. Just because they don't like it, just because something doesn't comport with their feelings, they cry racism about it. So I say this, I say, I've said it before, I'll probably say it again. If everything is racist, then by definition, if everything is something, it can't be that thing. So if everything is racist, then... Nothing is racist because you have no point of comparison at that point. If I'm crying racism for everything, then nothing can be racist because it's all normal then, right? So what we'll do, we'll throw this future ivory tower type into the mix for the April Dolt of the Month Award. I, Yeah, she got blistered by Cruz pretty good. I'm betting we'll have some more, uh, some more entrance before the month is done here. I think we've got uh, Max Boot. I think we're still. I think I still have him with the edge over, over uh, Miss Future Ivory Tower Yale graduate here. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. There's, uh, you know, we have Maxine Waters swoop in at the last minute last month and grab it. So uh, we'll see what happens this month. Okay, before I cover the last story uh, for the day, I want to let my Wisconsin listeners know. So this. This is uh, for you, for the Wisconsin listeners. Uh, anybody outside of Wisconsin, yeah, maybe you'll listen with interest because uh, maybe I'll spark an idea here for you or, or uh, get you looking for something similar in, in your home state. But I want to let my Wisconsin listeners know of an upcoming rally. It's the United We Stand, We the People rally. It will be at the state capitol April 30th and May 1st. The speakers will include David Clark, Tim Ramthan, Janelle Branchin, and many, many others. Come out and show your support for election integrity, ending emergency powers, and for medical freedom. These are all important things we need to stand up for. I think they're all things we didn't give a th uh, two thoughts about called two or three years ago, but now are front of mind and know that we need to do something about it. And the good way to, to do something about it is to come out and show your support at the We the People, or United We Stand, We the People rally in Madison. Now, for more information, go to the Facebook page. It's United We Stand, We the People. Or email United We Stand, We the People 2022 at gmail.com. It's our government. And it's time to show the elites we are ready to reclaim it.
Okay, last story for the day. Florida is doing it right. They are the model that we should be utilizing, that we should be emulating as we fight these battles, these various battles in our own states, from education to overreaching government to creeping federal government. They are the model we should emulate in our states. The latest instance of Florida getting it right is in how they are handling the reforming of their educational system. First, their education commissioner has rejected math textbooks on the basis of pushing agenda, pushing CRT, and not teaching math, not teaching math according to their standards. And you would think that's what a math textbook should be. It's something that teaches math, that, that helps kids learn math. Now, I have an Epic Times piece here I'll link in the description box. It's titled, Florida School Chief Rejects Math Textbooks Over Attempts to Indoctrinate Students. It's a really long title. It's a good article. It's worth your read, though. Richard Corcoran, who is the head of Florida's Education Commission, gave these reasons for rejecting the textbooks. And I uh, believe it was something like 54 textbooks or something. It was, it was a quite a large number. Um, read the article. Like I said, it's a good article. Uh, so this is the reasons, um, the quote from Richard Corcoran, as to why the Florida Education Commission rejected these textbooks. It goes like this. Corcoran said, reasons for rejecting textbooks include, uh, included references to critical race theory, inclusions of Common Core, and the unsolicited addition of social-emotional learning in mathematics. The highest number of books rejected were for grade levels K through 5, where an alarming 71% were not appropriately aligned with Florida standards or included the prohibited top, uh, topics and unsolicited strategies. K through 5, those are the ones that you have to get. Those are the most malleable. So that's not... To me, that's not that surprising that the bulk of the rejected books came from those grade levels because that's where it starts. That's where the seed's planted. And as you grow older, it's harder to uproot then. So it's not as necessary to push it. You you can't necessarily even push it in in the higher grades because especially when you get to high school, people start, even though high schoolers, teenagers, aren't looking the furthest ahead you know, in terms of, of consequences of things, they're starting to form their own opinions and and form their own uh, uh, worldviews and, and have their own values. It's harder to, to push this stuff with them, but kids and, and teenagers, too, are, are in that phase where they're, they're trying to uh, prove that they are, are independent and, and ready to, to move on, to fly, uh, fly the coop, so to speak, right? Not kids grade uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Those they're still malleable. They're still in the phase where they're not questioning authority. So it's that's why they push this stuff heavily at those grade levels. So I'm not surprised that 71 percent of the books that were rejected came from grades uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And I have to say this: I thank you, Richard Corcoran, for standing up for students and parents. For standing up for education and and the standards that have been set forth by Florida, that curriculum must meet, teaching must meet. 
this is exactly what more education bureaucrats need to be doing. Review the materials that are being uh, uh, put in the classroom to make sure they actually perform the intended function, to make sure that they are, are free of agendas, to make sure that these curriculum materials actually perform their intended function of educating children so that they can be successful members of society. Review the materials. They need to meet the standards. If we have a goal in mind, these materials, these curriculum materials need to make sure that they are going to, to uh, have the desired effect of improving education. So often we lament the declining test, store, uh, test scores and the students who seemingly know less and less, who can't do basic math, who can't give you change in the store, who can't quickly uh, do multiplication in their head. We so often lament that and we don't know and we don't go to the root cause. Well, Richard Corcoran's found uh, the root cause here as I was going after the root cause we put people in charge of our schools to ensure that our kids are being educated properly, that they get the materials they need, that the materials are appropriate. We put these people in charge, but what we found out is that it's just been all agenda-driven, and it's not actually uh, having any effect on the education of our kids. It's, these people aren't actually doing the work of making sure our educational materials are top of the line, that they're going to accomplish their goal. We need to be vigilant, and we need to put people in place that are vigilant like this. Now, I don't know if Richard Corcoran is appointed or, or elected. I didn't get down that rabbit hole. Either way, uh, he's he's doing it right. So if you have a, a head of your state educational department, again, goes back to what I said before, make sure that they are uh, firm in the Constitution, that they value freedom and liberty, that they understand what it takes to educate a kid. Florida's doing it right. This is what oversight should look like. It's not getting down into the weeds and telling districts what to do. It's making sure that the districts are, it's holding the districts accountable to the standards that the, they set forth, that the, the Florida Education Commission set forth. That's what the oversight is. They, they absolutely should be asking the questions, are you districts selecting materials that meet the standards or not? That's what this, they, they should be doing. Set the standards and then hold, hold the, the districts accountable to them, the schools accountable to them. And if curriculum isn't meeting it, say no, we're not using this curriculum. Now, even better, on top of that is the cherry on top, or, or maybe that was the cherry on top, because this has actually happened, the, the stage was set for this actually a couple of years ago. Um, but the, the new standards Florida implemented are also outstanding in terms of how to educate kids and getting back to the education and quality education of kids. Now, in 2020, Florida removed Common Core and adopted the Benchmarks for Excellent Student Thinking, or BEST standards, B-E-S-T. 
DeSantis called it a return to the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic. I, I applaud this. I mean, this is what we need to get back to. The, the three basics of education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, I ran on this platform in my campaign for school board. I wanted to see a return, a return focus, a renewed focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic. Education isn't complicated. But over the years, we've allowed it to get overcomplicated. There are times when new isn't always better. Educating our kids is one of those things. The new flashy methods aren't better. They're not always better. I'll put it that way. There's sometimes you have to look for that uh, improvement opportunity. But for the most part, education and how you teach and how you learn, there, there's very little. It's Call it this way. It's, it, it's very, a very mature. Uh, if it were an industry, it would be a very mature industry. We know what works and what doesn't. And it's one of those things that the simpler, the better. Educating our kids should be simple. The, the new flashy methods aren't always better. Very rarely are they. And in my opinion, they have been proven to be more agenda-driven programming of our children. Education is basic. Teach kids to read, write, and do math. Coupled with teaching on how to think and reason, not what, but how. Give a framework, challenge them with questions. And you do that, the kids will be successful. The best standards then sent me down another rabbit hole. I wanted to see what this return to the basics look like and what Florida had outlined. So as we finish up today, I will give you a little flavor of what the standards are. First, the best standards are focused on English and math. To reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Those are math and English all day. I read through both sets of standards, admittedly, not word for word. I skimmed them. I looked for keywords to stop and read more on uh, as both of these uh, sets of standards, English and math, both have their own individual document, and each document is over 200 pages each. But it outlines the standards from grades Kindergarten through 12th. So it's step by step what kids should be, what, what milestones kids should be hitting, what we should be teaching in each grade. I'll link everything in the description box. This is just fascinating to read and, and see what Florida has outlined and how, if you, you can connect, how you can connect the dots then to getting back to a simpler form of education will help increase student achievement. I think if you take a look at it, it's it'll give you and it'll increase your hope that our country is pulling out of this leftist hellhole, this leftist wrong turn we seem to have gotten stuck in here. Here's a little description of the English standard. Best is the first educational standard in the nation with civics book with a civics book list included in its English language arts curriculum. Students will study American history-focused works such as Vote by Eileen Cristolo and landmark Supreme Court cases. 
Students will be introduced to the U.S. Constitution in the fourth or fifth grade to help them use their reading comprehension skills to become more civilly aware. That's key right there because our Constitution is written at a fourth grade reading level. Now, not a 2022 fourth grade reading level. But if we had more focus on the classics, if we spend more time or, or studying the Constitution, having our kids spend more time studying the Constitution, they would be able to read it. I love this. This is Florida for the win here. I, I mean, Florida for the win. Incorporating books that push American pride. Outstanding. Getting... Uh, Teaching the Constitution in fourth or fifth grade to help kids use their reading comprehension skills to become more civilly aware of outstanding. This is all what schools should be teaching, what they should be doing. It's, it's teaching our history, it's using teaching the basics, and then applying those basics to things like our documents, our founding documents. So Kids can be more uh, aware and have some civic pride in our country and know that they can read it and understand it and know that the crap they see in the media is lies. This is aimed at creating a responsible and informed citizenry and having it as part of an educational standard is genius. Not only that, looking at the reading list for English language arts, it's it's a return to incorporating classics into literature studies. There's writings by Langston Hughes, Frederick Douglass. The Federalist Papers are part of the, the reading curriculum. Treasure Island. And get this. The books of Psalms, Esther, and Second Samuel from the Bible are also part of the reading list. Now, yeah, students will be studying all of these from the literary aspect. They'll be thinking about how to comprehend it. They'll be, I'm sure, picking apart... Uh, it's things like sentence structure, things like that, you know, all this stuff that most of us have forgotten about English uh, language arts over the years since we are not English teachers, most of us anyway. But even though these, these are being studied from a academic standpoint, the impact of reading these texts will be long-lasting. It will plant the seed for later in life in terms of what it looks like to be a responsible member of society, of what it means to uh, be a respectful person. Now, it's not just classics that are on this list, and you'll get the screaming and yelling about there's no books that look, you know, for, for people that look like me or whatever. Now, there's also contemporary books that are part of the standard as well. They include I Am Malala, Hidden Figures, and Promises to Keep, how Jackie Robinson changed America, which, by the way, was written by his daughter. So the, the, right there, too, they took out the argument that these are all written by white authors and it's whitewashing and all this. Well, nope, Frederick Douglass is in there, Langston Hughes is in there, Jackie Robinson's daughter is in there, Malala, Hidden Figures, a book about the, the ladies at, at NASA, Hidden Figures, if you haven't read that story, back in, I think it was the 60s. These are the kinds of texts our kids should be reading, not some softcore porn that is agenda-pushing and gets selected simply because it won an award. As for math, 
Florida standards are simple. Less emphasis on how students use multiple strategies and bringing more balance to the emphasis on skills versus concepts. So getting to the end result and not necessarily utilizing these dumb math mountains to get there, it's getting really, getting right down to the straightforwardness of math. There's it's Math is linear for the most part. Two plus two equals four. Uh, getting rid of rote memorization was not the right path. And now we have a couple of generations that can't do math. Getting back to the basics, those linear basics, two plus two equals four. And teaching things like multiplication tables and how to figure out change. If I give you a dollar for something that's 57 cents, it should be no problem for you to snap off, okay, it's 43 cents and change. These are things that are essential to success in life. Florida's doing it right. We have a model to go now, go forth with, and push for change in our own school districts, in our own schools, school districts, on up to the state level of education, all the way up, well, you know, now I was going to say the federal level, but let's get rid of the federal level. There's no reason to have the Department of Education. So use this Florida model go for, uh, to go forward in, in fighting for a return to basics in your own uh, school districts. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.